Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. Today's scripture reading is out of Matthew uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, and bear with me. This is the genealogy. You know that portion in Matthew in the Christmas time we all skip over um, because the words and the names are difficult to pronounce? Um, we're going to be reading that this morning, and that's the text that our, our, our message is based in. But starting in verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmo, and Salmo the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uziah, and Uziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of, Je- of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the, of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, that's a mouthful, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. You may all be seated. Here we go. Uh, over the next few weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to take a deep dive into the meaning of Christmas uh, by examining the f- first few chapters of the Gospel of Matthew and look at the meaning of Christ's birth. When, uh, when I was away uh, the other week uh, visiting uh, my wife's family, uh, my uh, father-in-law was sitting next to me on Sunday afternoon while I was, uh, I think, watching a football game. And he's in his chair uh, just going through a stack of papers. And I just asked him, what are you looking at? And, uh, and he said, I'm, I'm looking at my ancestry tree. Uh, he's just got a, a stack, uh, hundreds of, of pages, and it was just uh, people where they were born, when they were born, and where they died. And he, he just reads that over and over and over again. And I was blown away because I've never done that. <laughs> and uh, I, I just actually have almost no interest in doing that. And I just asked him, why are you doing this? And he said, because all these people tell me who I am and tell me about my life. And I just thought, and the only thing I'm interested in is, do they have any money? <laughs> some, some of you heard that scripture that Eli read and were like, what in the world are we going to do with this? 
it's interesting, almost all of the, uh, the Gospels start this way. And we would never start this way. But they start this way because there's a message about who Jesus will be and what He will be for us. And I, I, there's four things that I, I want you to see out of this genealogy that will tell you about Jesus and actually be formative for who you need to be and what Christmas will give us. And it's this, it's fact, mission, grace, and promise that Matthew wants to communicate to us just out of this genealogy. Fact, mission, grace, and promise. First, fact. Notice he begins this way in verse 1. The beginning, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He doesn't start by saying, I want to tell you about this man, Jesus, once upon a time, nor a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Matthew says, this person, Jesus, that I want to tell you about, here's his genealogy. He's saying that man, Jesus, from Nazareth, here's where he came from. Here's his background. And here's what's fascinating. Every famous, significant person in the ancient Near East would have started this way. When they talked about kings, when they talked about powerful people in the ancient Near East, the first thing that you needed to know was their family, their background, and where they came from. There's no legend, there's no myth that you can ever read from ancient Near Eastern literature that begins with somebody's genealogy, that begins with their background. Myths did not start this way. And what Matthew's trying to communicate right away is, is that, that baby born in the manger, the man who changed the world, who's holding all of our hopes, even as a baby who struck a chord with uh, shepherds and with magi, that really happened. He was really born as an actual human being, as, as a person, and this is the family he came from. Now, why does that matter to us? Well, we just sang that song, uh, you know, the hopes and fears of all of our years are met in thee tonight. You know, I mean, even Sarah McLaughlin has, has a recording of that song. Because I think wherever you are this morning, whether you really believe that was the baby in the manger, the Son of God, or you're just brought here by somebody, there's no, like, no part of our year where we sing songs like that and they come in and we actually think, what does hold all of my hopes, all of my fears, and where are they met tonight? Do you know how many songs and movies are going to come out in this season that come around that theme? And what people wonder is if Christianity is one more story pointing to that reality of something that can hold all of your hopes, all of your fears, and meet it and minister to it and care for it and fulfill it. And what Matthew is saying is that this is not one more story where all of those things point to this really happened, this is the story, this is the reality that became fact to which all of those hopes and dreams that everybody writes about, that everybody sings about, actually are pointing to. Because it really happened. And what we learn right away out of Matthew's genealogy for Jesus is that it was a fact. Secondly, though, it comes with a mission. Look at the very end of the of the text from in verse 17 when it says this. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to deportation to Babylon were 14 generations. 
and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now, in in that verse, we have the summary of the entire Old Testament. And we actually have Matthew's commentary on what he just did. That the, gen- that the genealogy that is given to us in Matthew's gospel is actually not the full, detailed, every person in Jesus' genealogy that would have been there. Uh, Bob Gundry, a former professor of New Testament at Westmont College in Santa Barbara, has an amazing work on the gospel of Matthew. And he says, look, Matthew in his gospel is not trying to do the same thing that Luke was trying to do, which is to present to you a very detailed, orderly account. He said what Matthew was trying to do is take lots of factual, real details about Jesus' life and organize them in a particular way to make a theological point. And so what the genealogy of Jesus gives us is actually an edited version that Matthew intentionally wanted to organize a particular way to communicate something. Now, what's it communicating? Well, he says this, there were 14 generations from Abraham to uh, the exile. And then there were another 14 generations. And then there were 14 generations from the exile to the Christ. So you've got three 14s. Or another way to look at it is you've got six sixes. So, excuse me, six sevens. You've got seven, 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 and then seven, seven, seven. And then it says, and then the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, why in the world is that significant? Well, almost every commentator says what actually he's doing here, when he organizes it this way and summarizes it for us, is he has to be commentating on Leviticus 28. And here, excuse me, Leviticus 25, verse 8. Here's what he says in Leviticus 25. You shall count seven weeks of seven years, seven times seven years, so that the time of seven weeks of seven years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. You shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. When each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan, that fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows or of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. Now, in ancient Near Eastern Israel, the year of jubilee was something that came every 50 years. And what it was was in that moment, there was healing for everything. If you were a slave, you were set free. If you had an enormous debt, it was canceled. And on the Day of Atonement, it became an enormous celebration about all the deliverance that God would do and has done and provided for. And it would be demonstrated in the freedom and reunion and a joy that everybody in Israel was given. And it was to happen on the 50th year. And so what Matthew says is he says, when there are 14 generations from this, and 14 to this, and 14 to this, and there's 49, he says, you know what the seventh seven is? This man Jesus is the year of Jubilee. He's saying, when this man was born, what he will bring is everything Jubilee points to. 
See, see Christmas is, is not just about God coming into the world and dealing with our particular phase of darkness. That whatever you're going through personally or whatever we've been going through in the United States or whatever we've been going through uh, in, in this church, Christmas is, is about God's plan to once and for all set captives free, to once and for all cancel debts, for once and for all to deal with sin, evil, death, and all of the darkness and put it away, not just for the season, but for good altogether. And, and you know how we're supposed to respond to that is with celebration and with festivals. And then to go embody that and give that out into the world. I mean, th- th- there's, there's no time of the year where you actually have to deal with this tension like this, where there is a celebration that you ought to indulge in that can quickly become self-indulgence. But what Jubilee and Christmas are pointing to is that you ought to be a people of an amazing celebration. But what the celebration does is it doesn't drain you, it doesn't suck you, it fills you up to want to go give your life away. Now, some of you are parents and families and wondering how, how you can make Christmas meaningful in your family's house and how, how this can be a, a beautiful thing and not just a consuming thing. Well, I'll tell you this. You're not going to teach them that in a word, in a conversation just over the dinner table. If you want your family to understand what Christmas is meant to do, which is to break into the darkness and to bring healing and setting people free and canceling debts and reuniting the world under the lordship of Jesus through the gospel. If you want your family to do that, then go do something. Go find somebody to bless this season. Go find a group of people. Go find something to get a part of, to get your hands dirty, to bring people the message of Christmas, which is that Jesus has come not just to inspire us, not to just warm our hearts, but to renew this world and to set all things right. And Matthew says the proof of that God will do that is this baby in the manger. And if you want to believe that, get out and embody that. There's a father and son who um, live down the street from, from us in our neighborhood in, in Pasadena. And they have a tradition that every year on uh, December 23rd, they go down to uh, the Children's Hospital on Hill Avenue in downtown L.A. into the pedia, uh, the, 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 I can't remember which corner they go to, but they go to all the sick kids who are stuck in the hospital the days before with just, I mean, a truckload of gifts. And they just go give stuff away. They just go spend their afternoon giving gifts of love and grace to kids stuck in the hospital. And I, I don't know what those kids think when they receive that. But a little bit of them has got to hope that one day, in the midst of their sickness, that there would be a gift that would be given that wouldn't just bring healing for a moment, but would bring healing for a lifetime. Because that's what Christmas says. And you need to go embody that. Because Christmas is a mission that began with God and comes to you and is meant to extend to your neighbor. Christmas is it's a fact 
It's a mission, but thirdly, it's about grace. Now, what do I mean? Look in these verses, 3 to 6. This is really powerful. Um, We're told this, Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Abinadab, Abinadab, the father of Nishan, and Nishan, the father of Solomon, and Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. This, this is actually incredibly shocking text. And in, in order to understand that, you've got to sort of dive into the significance of a genealogy. Look, in, in every society, ours as well, if you want to move up the ladder and you want to make it, and you want to have success, you have to have credentials. Now, for us, it's, it's your resume, it's your accomplishments, it's things that are great and wonderful about you. But in the ancient Near East, it was always your genealogy. And actually, much like today, how they would communicate their genealogy would be very much an edited, padded thing. So if you had, you had like a drunk Uncle Ted, you, know, you would always want to leave that out of your genealogy. In fact, Herod, who we'll read about in a couple weeks, uh, his, you know, he was an Edomite. But actually, if you go look in documents surrounding his genealogy, that's always edited out about who he was because it would not have been significant and powerful for him to be the great person he was in the Roman Empire. But when you come to the birth of this man, Jesus Christ, who think about this, is going to be... Uh, the representation of the holy creator of all things, and is going to come bring salvation. Look who he has in his genealogy. And remember what I just told you. Matthew intentionally edited this in a particular way because he wants to say, this is who is in Jesus' family. A couple observations. Uh, one, five women are named here. Tamar, Ruth, Rahab, Uriah's wife, and then Mary. Now, it wouldn't have been uh, completely unheard of to, uh, to name a woman in your genealogy, but it would have been unusual. And the reason for that is in a patriarchal society, which you know, Christianity doesn't condone that and isn't trying to uphold that, but just identifies this is where the world was at this time, you would not have wanted to include a woman in, in your genealogy because in a patriarchal society, women had no power. And so if you wanted a genealogy of power and esteem and fame, women would not have been in there. But uh, in a sense, social outsiders or political outsiders or power outsiders included in Jesus' genealogy. Second, two of the women are not Jews. Ruth was a Moabite and Rahab was a Canaanite. Now Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience to convince them that this man was actually the Messiah, was actually the Son of God. And he begins right away by saying, two of the people who actually contributed to his family line that were significant, I want you to know about, neither of them were Jewish. In fact, they were enemies of Jew. They're racial outsiders. Third, Tamar, if you know who she was and her story was, she had an affair with her father-in-law secretly slept with him, 
to get pregnant. And that continued the bloodline of Jesus. And then Rahab is a prostitute. Which means you have moral outsiders here. Intentionally included in Jesus' genealogy. And then maybe most climactic, you have Bathsheba. But it's fascinating how David, or excuse me, how, how Matthew wants to write about Bathsheba. Because he could have just said Bathsheba. And if you hadn't read much of the Old Testament, you would just glance over that. But he doesn't say that. He says, the wife of Uriah. Which means he wants to include and highlight the fact that Jesus was born out of an affair, out of a covered up murder, out of the most broken thing ever. All moral outsiders. I mean, Matthew is going to incredible lengths to show us that Jesus' family comes from an incredibly broken situation where nobody got it right. Where every, no, there, there are groups of people who would not have been welcomed in the temple. According to the, uh, the Pentateuch law, they, they would not have been allowed to be in the holy presence of God. Now think about how different the Bible is from how we do culture. Because if we have people like this in our church, or we have people like this in our family, what do we do? Well, we either want to uh, politically kind of maneuver this and say it's not as bad as you think it is. Well, you don't have the full context. Let me describe the story to you. Or we want to altogether hide it. But we don't want to embrace it and put it on a part of our biography. But what is this communicating? It's communicating one thing. That the baby of this, the baby in the manger, is come to bring grace. That Christmas, look, is not about you having any kind of spiritual resume. It's about this baby coming into the midst of your story and giving you one. And the world works in a totally different way. Christmas destroys the way that the world finds a way to be important. Every way the world wants you to be important, political power, racial power, economic power, moral power, Christmas has come to blow all of that up. And you know what that means for you today? It means wherever you are in your story, it's never too late. Isn't it fascinating that this time of the year is always when we have regrets, when always we look back on what we did not do in our job or we did not do relationally, we're not doing our habits. And instead of making changes this year, we usually sit in the pain. And you know why we do that? It's because our hearts are prone to works righteousness. Where whoever we want to be, however we want to be accepted, however we want to be included, it feels like things that you and I have to live up to, have to prove, have to have on our resume in order to be accepted and liked and welcomed into things that will make us feel loved and okay about our life. But Christmas has come to throw a bomb in that. And to say, you can have fame, actually. Think about these people's names that we just read thousands of years old. We're still remembering their names. Can any of you name the 12th president of the United States right now? 
Can any of you name the most wealthy person who lived in the late 1890s? But you can name these people. You know why? Because they were given a resume by Christmas. It's available to you. Not by works, so that no one can boast, but by grace and grace alone. And all it requires is for you to feel your need of Him. Look, this is, this is the beauty of Christmas. In order to experience the great gift and celebration of it, all you need is one thing, nothing. That's the only credential that Christmas requires. Do you have it? Or you're always holding on to something that you swear will make you you. Because in the name of Christmas, Jesus is asking you right now, bring nothing. Bring nothing in your hands and come receive me. Matthew, right away about this baby, he wants to tell you it's a fact. He wants to tell you it's mission. He wants to tell you it's about grace. But lastly, he wants to give you a promise. Look in verse 1 and 2. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Look, in, in these powerful lines, you've got the entire summary um, of Israel. The two most famous people of Israel, Abraham and David. And what Matthew is doing is he's taking all of this Old Testament background that's summed up in Israel's story with two things, that God came to Abraham and he said, I'm going to bless the world through your family. That through your family line will actually come the blessing to the entire world. And to David, he came in 2 Samuel chapter 7, he said, on your throne it will last forever, that there will, become one, there will come one who will be a king, who will sit there, and he will reign and rule forever and ever. And these two promises are what everything held on to in Israel. And what Matthew is saying here is that they're fulfilled in this person, that God always keeps his promise, and that in Christmas we have dead proof that God is faithful and will never, ever abandon His promise. But you, you know what? Here's what that sounds like to us in the midst of our circumstances. Because many of you have things that you need in your life, and you're wondering at times if the threads are coming apart, if God's promises are still ringing true, if He still loves me, if He's still good, if He's still a provider, if He's still faithful. And if you have those questions, you have to understand how the promise comes to fruition here that Matthew communicates. Because it doesn't come on our time, and it doesn't come in our way. Look, the promise made to Abraham was thousands of years before this. And the promise made to David was hundreds of years before this. And involved an exile. Involved... A time where it looked like God had completely abandoned Israel. It looked like a time where they were all on their own. They had nothing else. They had no hope. And all along, God was still working in his own time to fulfill his promise. But then it also did not ever look like that. There were no God moments, there were no signs. 
There were no things that were clues that God was still faithful. It never looked like any of this was coming true. But all the while, God was still upholding and keeping His promise. Christmas is telling you this. God really came down to heal this world and set captives free, to renew your life, and it's all by grace. But you know what? How you'll feel that and how you'll experience that will almost never be on the time and terms that you think you need. And and here's the hope and promise of Christmas. If If you will open yourself up to Him, God will not come and just give you the desires that you think will heal and make your life better. He will come in a time and a way and give you actually more than you could ever ask for and give you more than you could want and give it in a way that you would have never pursued. Look, Jesus is more of the promise fulfilled than Abraham and David ever thought they were going to get, and they never thought it was going to come from some baby born out in rural Bethlehem. But when they got it, and on this side of it, we see this was God's perfect fulfilled promise. And if he did this in this macro way, don't you think he's going to do this for you in a micro way? And all you need to do is just sit there and take it. Do you remember the movie The Princess Bride? Um, where the kid, where Fred Savage is sick, and um, he's sitting there playing video games, and the mom knocks on the door and says, "Your grandpa is here to read you a story." And he's like, "Oh, mom, like this is wrecking my day." And he comes and he's, "I want to read you a, a story that my, my grandfather read to me," and he 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 wants nothing to do with it. And as he starts to read it, there's like romance and kissing. And he's like, this is terrible. This is disgusting. Like, please turn this off. And he's like, just trust me. Just follow along. So as the story is, on, is being read, he's becoming a little bit more intrigued, a little bit more drawn in to the point at the very end, he's like all the way sucked in. And his, fa- and his grandfather read him this beautiful, amazing story. And at the very end, one of the last lines of the movie, you know, the grandpa's leaving, and the kid just goes, well, well, Grandpa, you can come tomorrow and read it again if you want. And the grandpa just says, you know, the famous line of the movie, as you wish. Look, Christmas, if, if you will open your hands and heart, is a story that you would never ask for. And it will give you something that you're not pursuing but if you will receive it and listen to it, it will come into your life and be a story that you will then turn again to God and say, please come again next year. And a faithful God will always say, as you wish. Let's pray together. Our Father, what a season this is to remember and celebrate how faithful and good that you are. How gentle of a king you are. Lord, that you you really did come. And you came to give grace and grace alone. Lord, everybody here, in, in all of our struggles and all of our frustrations and all of our tensions, 
Lord, would the grace of Christmas overwhelm us, push back our anger, push back our fears, push back our tensions, Lord, that we would be a church that renews people, that sets captives free. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.